You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Vineyard Theater in New York City... This is Theatre Uncorked, where vineyard artists come together to talk about the process of bringing new works to the stage. I'm your host, Eric Pargach. For episode three, we welcome the Vineyard's most produced playwright, Nikki Silver, in conversation with the Vineyard's artistic director, Douglas Abel. The Vineyard's premiere of this day forward is Nikki's ninth main stage production at the company, which has also done three developmental lab productions of his works. Nikki made his off-Broadway debut here at the Vineyard with his play Pterodactyls, which went on to receive a Drama Desk nomination, an Outer Critics Circle nomination, and won both the Oppenheimer Award and the Kesselring Award. That began his long relationship with the theater and eventually led to his first Broadway production when the Lions transferred from the Vineyard to the Court Theater on Broadway in 2012, starring Linda Lavin in the role of the acid-tongued mother, Rita Lyons. Nikki is joined by Douglas Abel, who has been the Vineyard's artistic director for over three decades and has been at the helm of the institution for all of Nikki's productions here. We are thrilled the two could join us during previews of This Day Forward to chat about their history working together. This is Nikki Silver and Douglas Abel in Theater Uncorked at the Vineyard. Well, this feels a little artificial because Doug and I speak constantly. Even when I'm not working here, we stay in touch. We speak a lot. But Mm -hmm. um, we will try to be both edifying and entertaining for the purposes of the Vineyard podcast. The two important E's. Edifying and entertaining. Yes. Uh, I guess we should start out by trying to remember all these years later when we first met it would be 1992 i guess i believe so i had written a play called pterodactyls that um had a read had many many readings all over town and got the same feedback from everyone that they liked the play but weren't doing it and um you had someone on the staff here mm-hmm. you, but are you going to talk doug i'll, I'll talk it's like pulling teeth to get him to chime in <laughs> this well, is what my, it's like my recollection was actually your your then agent sent me a, a gaggle of your plays michael trom my Michael, michael trom he's now i believe a he works on a dairy farm yeah well he was very nice anyway he nice. i i <laughs> i give him credit that he was relentless he called me a lot it was uh, before the internet so it was all about calling and sending hard copies of scripts and i think there were about three or four of them and i read pterodactyls and i i loved it and i called you and we met oh 
correct? Um, I, I, well, we did meet. I don't remember the phone call. But I remember coming here. Or your agent arranged as it. As I right. recall, first of all, first of all, Michael Trom, do you realize, is there's a character in a play of mine based on Michael Trom. Really? The psychiatrist in Raised in Captivity who goes crazy when her client leaves him was oh. based on his response when I left. Honest oh to God. Because he went a little nutty. And uh. I don't blame him. I mean, it was a rough, you know, he was a young agent starting out and everybody left him um, within like a 10-day period. Um but let's don't dwell on the negative. But let's talk about that first meeting. Um, as I recall, I hid a bunch of other scripts in your office. As I, rec- I just remember at one point we were chatting and you went into a fetal position under the table yeah. uh, for an extended period of time. Like, was, seriously, you did. did I have a, was I upset about something? No, no. It, I, I, it was playful. I think we were, we were chatting about not the play, just about life or whatever and I, I was asking you probing questions and I think in your satirical mock well mock serious way you 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 feigned shocked. being shocked or distressed and you crawled under the desk and put your hands right I your do knees. remember being probed yeah. by you but I don't um, <laughs> recall going under the table but emotional, if you say emotional did, probing yeah huh? um, that's what we'll tell oh, the lawyers <laughs> and uh, we were so young we were we were young young upstarts in the theater and and uh we did uh we committed i committed at the time to a, a lab production which was really quite a production it really was, was the no production yeah. right in those days uh things were a little cheaper to do and we really uh, working with david warren and a really talented cast we really we did the production the concept then which is a little harder to do now was that we would fully stage things and not have them reviewed and run them for three weeks. And we did it with that cast, and it went beautifully. And I think a year later, we brought it back and polished it up a bit. Yeah. And I I also recall, for some reason, this is on my mind because of the election (laughs) challenge we've all had, is I remember it was when Bill Clinton, the lab was when Bill Clinton was first running for president. There was a primary going on. He was running against Jerry Brown, I think, or something. I don't remember. I I worked for that first Bill Clinton election. I was a a full-time volunteer registering Democrats. But I was oblivious to any opponents. Right. It was just, I, it was very contentious, as I recall. And, and uh, it, it just struck me a lot as we were, you know, fast forward to our, our current venture. And, well, let's just say the day after the election was a, a tough one. It was a hard night. <laughs> and it was actually lovely, though. Uh, well, the cast was so happy to be here to have something to cling to. Right. And, and the audience, too. I, I, it, was a, it was a special night. Um, but I just, I thought about the... I'd be happy yeah. if it wasn't so special and the results <laughs> exactly. were different. But. <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, but I don't know. That was just on my mind because I felt like we, we started with the Clintons at our most recent show. Well, maybe. And cho- I had it was my first profession. I had been doing showcases for a good uh, seven or eight years. And I would had, I believe at that point, only two regional productions, one at the Woolly Mammoth in Washington and one in San Francisco at the Magic Theater of an earlier play called Fat Men in Skirts, but I'd never had a professional production in New York City. And my memory of opening night, in those days it was on a Wednesday, and in those days mm-hmm. the Sunday Times was actually published like a silkscreen uh, <laughs> on Wednesday nights, and Sam Rudy coming around the corner with both the Sunday Review and the Daily Review. Sam Rudy, our press agent. Sam Rudy is the press agent. And uh, they were both, what was interesting was they were both very, very positive, but they both had some concerns, but they expressed polar opposite 
points of view. One liked to play best when it was funny, and one liked to play best when it was serious. But what mattered was the top half of the Arts and Leisure was a picture of Hope Davis and Kelly Bishop and Dennis Cregan from Pterodactyls, mm -hmm. and it made us important. Mm -hmm. On a week when people with reputations that already existed opened plays, like Austin Pendleton in Playwrights Horizons, and David Warren said to me, do you know what this means? And I said, I guess it means they liked it. And he said, it means you don't have to work at Barney's anymore. I'm waiting. I probably have to go back at the, after this play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, so for you, I mean, it, it was really an extraordinary, working on that show was an extraordinary experience. It just all, all of, uh, I don't know how to put this. It, it, we really didn't know until the first preview. I'm, I'm going back to the, the lab, you know, how it would be responded to. I knew. You knew. I did. I think yeah. I did. I don't mean that smugly. Right. But I, I, you know, as a young writer in my early, mm -hmm. I was 31, 32, um, uh, workshop and lab and uh, production, I had very, very much convinced myself that if I could get the world to listen to me, they would be very excited. Mm -hmm. And I, this is a demented way to live, but I do think it's the only attitude that a a struggling writer can have, mm -hmm. or you won't bother to continue to do it. But other people I knew who wanted to have a life in the theater, that's about, their 30s is about when you start going, this isn't working out. I had no money. I'd never earned a cent. So I thought it would be, I thought, I thought it would be shocking to people mm -hmm. in, at the time. I mean, a play that did address AIDS, that had a lot of jokes, mm -hmm. that shifted styles, but I thought people would like it. I remember I have a distinct memory of Kelly Bishop. I don't know the, quite the line, but there's a moment in the play when the protagonist reveals that he has AIDS and the mother's response is, we'll have a buffet or like a complete deflection. Correct? We'll have a buffet. Yeah. And I remember, at I think it was at the first performance, the audience exploded with laughter. And I think for me, that was really a, um, uh, it was a profound moment. It was a sort of release and surprise and, oh my God, they'll, they're, they get what you're trying to say and I, the irony and, and the it still shock gets done it. constantly mm. constantly I mean not so much not major you know big institutional theaters it gets done in colleges it gets done overseas I get pterodactyl statements mm -hmm. and it's still very widely produced I feel like uh, too uh, just to, to remind people if they're listening um, that when we first did it in 92, um, we were not out of the woods yet with this disease. I mean, no. Was, we were, the, you know, they were about a year away from, uh, thankfully, some medication uh, being discovered that could at least treat it. But we were not there yet. Well, and, I don't uh, think I have my doubts as if, if the play even works anymore. Because in that, the time when we did it, for a character to say high F AIDS was a death sentence. Mm -hmm. It was a death sentence. Absolutely. And now it has a completely different impact. Mm -hmm. So you really have to put it if you see the play right. in that kind of historical perspective. Uh, you know, on a personal level, which I didn't say to you, my my uh, my very best friend at the time was also a theatrical collaborator with me, was struggling with it and and uh, passed away around the time of the lab. And I just remember, um, I don't know, it just every night it was like a, a source of joy and agony for me well, to go through it. But it was really meaningful. You know? I wrote it. Really, uh, in honor of or about my friend Philip Beekman, who had died, but I had a little distance. It had been five or six years already. Um, and that's the thing. I wasn't sad when I wrote the play. I was angry when mm -hmm. I wrote the play. And that's what we really hadn't had mm -hmm. about the a play right. that addressed AIDS that had angry humor. We right. had sad. Right. 
right. at that point. It's also interesting. I sound so self-aggrandizing. Right. No, like no, no, I knew not what I was all. doing, and I'm so clever. And I and it also it also played with young. stylistically, you know, that kind of Philip Barry world. And and it's it's interesting for me because not that world isn't being revisited in this day forward, but another era is in the 1950s, and a, and a, a, a kind of style and a kind of a way of conversing and and acting and way people wore clothes uh, in this day forward. And I think that's probably. Of all the plays we've done, those two actually uh, did we ever have another play that worked on that that sort of dealt in a sort of nostalgic well, or satiric world? I like with... style a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like art. I like I like finding the reality in an artificial world quite, mm-hmm. as a playwright quite quite a bit, and I always think about it all the time. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. We've done so many plays together. (laughs) If I had one that... I generally don't write plays uh, that are set in another Mm -hmm. era, so probably not. Mm -hmm. But it's been interesting, too, I think, looking at the last few plays we've worked on together, The Lions and um, uh, Too Much Sun and now This Day Forward, they, I won't say they are thematically related, but they all... They, well, they are. Actually. They are. They are. They are. And they... they I got one idea, and I'm draining <laughs> the swamp. <laughs> but, but but there's a real progression in them. In ter- it seems to me, I don't mean to, to overly interpret them, uh, but a kind of gradual acceptance. I don't say forgiveness, but, but there, there's... I think, I think there's more forgiveness in, in this play. Uh, it takes a while to get there in the play, right? Am I... No, I think right? that's true. I, I, you know, last year, uh, the Dramatist Guild Quarterly magazine asked me to write an article about family plays. Now, I have written plays that are not about families. No one cares about them. People don't like them. And I do, when I teach, talk about things like, I think that all, that plays that last are generally family plays, even if they're disguised as something else. Like, Glengarry Glen Ross is a play about brothers with a father. Mm-hmm. It looks like something else. But... That is that is our most basic uh, human relationship is our family and one that most human beings spend their entire life reacting to, either healing from or trying to reconcile. You know, we do. We spend our whole lives. And I do think um, if you look at my exploration of the family, I think I have gotten much more forgiving of all of the participants when I'm young I know when I started out and I was younger I w- there was a lot more blame involved <laughs> and I don't think there's any blame actually mm-hmm. anymore yeah yeah I'm thinking about that some of the pl- I'm thinking about which plays you've we've done of yours that sort of I didn't I didn't feel you as a character or, or your your family history I guess the altruist was one of them uh-huh. maybe which uh, by the which nobody people didn't like so much in New York um, you know probably my most successful play in certain uh, overseas and maybe that's because it's critical or satirical about America. American values right maybe yeah I, I mean, liked it I liked, I liked it. it too my 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 favorite plays that we've done are the ones that have received the least attention shall we say um so i never really go by that that right. kind of stuff you know as you know i i adore the maiden's prayer i think that's a really great play people don't do that one i know and it's ripe for a revival i think it, I, I hope it gets done somewhere. i hope someone revives anything <laughs> right, right. <laughs> revive anything right 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But what? So I guess, I guess for you going through all these experiences, has there been one that's. You know, there have been some that have been good, some that have been less good. Has there been one that has been particularly special for you? There have been a couple. First of all, but, but, but the reality is, when you start out, you're so desperate for some success and some attention that it's very hard to enjoy the process because you feel the stakes so viscerally. Even with that said... I always enjoyed the process. I mean, there have been some that were harder to find that joy, but I I go to every rehearsal. I go to every performance. I like doing it. I mm. like being in the room with people who are making theater. I like seeing what my words, how they affect the actors. And so they're all good. They're all uh, the worst experience I ever had in the theater, which wasn't here. I realized at the end, as hard and, and unpleasant as that experience was at times, it was better to have made something and there was still a great deal of joy in the having made something. And that sounds so Pollyanna. And I don't think right. people who know me think of me as very Pollyanna-ish. But I really do enjoy it. And I feel most... I, I only write plays to get in... I don't write plays for the literary aspect of it. I write plays to get into the room hmm. with people that I'm going to have a good time with. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, pterod- pterodactyls... It doesn't stand out in my mind as a, as a great experience. I was too young and too scared. I mean, it was an important experience, but it wasn't all that much fun um, until we opened. And then it changed because right. we did so well. Racing Captivity was a really fun experience. but And I would say uh, The Lions was a really, really special experience for me. And not because it transferred, but because... I had had two, done two plays in a row that were not particularly well received, and you know this. I had really reached a sort of emotional ebb, and I didn't know why I was continuing to do it. If people were interested or didn't like me, and I, did I have anything left to say? And you invited me to see the Scottsboro Boys when it transferred on Broadway, and I cried, and um, and I f- was so moved by the adventurousness of it and my, even if it was tangential, relationship with the theater that would go out on that limb. And uh, it was about the same time. I don't know what the timeline is. Mm-hmm. I-, I wrote The Agony and The Agony because I thought if I'm done, I'd rather have a good time. Right, one more right, time. right, right, right. And you were so sweet and we did the lab of it. And it was. It was a fantastic... It was, it was the a most, blast. It was the it most really was. fun I ever had. And you were in it. Let's I was in it. Remind and people. I was... Damn good, as Doug Abel damn would good, say. Yeah, he likes to, that's but it was. I was never nervous right. to do it, to get right. up there and do it. It was. I filled it with people that I really wanted to have mm-hmm. fun with. And still, I, I had written the lines, and I didn't know if it would get done. It was a you know I had to sort of wait a while and fight a while, and it was it was really because of um, Mark and. Linda and Michael Esper that it was Mark Brokaw our brilliant director and Linda Lavin and Michael Esper who were in the cast I love the whole cast but I knew Michael going in and Linda being so warm and generous to me 
you know, we never thought we'd get her. She was going to mm-hmm. do another play that was moving already, already committed mm-hmm. to move to Broadway. The, from the first, I remember the first reading, and Mark and I exchanged a look, and maybe you were in it too. It was like, this is special. It felt very special to Including me. Including that we had an earthquake that day, if you recall. Was it the first day we had the earthquake? I, I do have to tell this story briefly. But we, it felt very, very, it, no, it, it was felt special amazing. from the first minute. It felt During special. about 10 pages in, we were rehearsing at a rehearsal studio. I think it was at New York Theater Workshop. I suddenly felt like I was turning green because I noticed that everything was shaking and I, I thought that we're in this old building that it was about to collapse and I stared over at Linda Lavin who I just met and she looked at like we just she and I share that I don't think anyone else realized it but it was like the earth was moving as as this uh, plane well, launched you were and feeling it, that and Mark and right. I were having magic right but anyway <laughs> it, there actually was a minor earthquake uh, for the first and only time in New York City that moment which was Something. I don't. It's important to me. I don't want to give you know short change Dick Latessa or right, Brenda right. Um, or 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 Gregory Gregory Waddell, right. who is so lovely and wonderful. And I mean, he was in it before we came here, right? Because he had done a reading. I'd done a bunch of readings with uh, very illustrious actresses, and the play didn't work. Right. And uh, fine actors, but Michael and Gregory had done a reading, and their chemistry was right, and so right. they were packed. Sometimes also it's just fun. I, I go back to Beautiful Child, which was a, a really interesting play. And hard. Hard. And it was about something really difficult. But in retrospect, you know, getting to work with actors like Penny Fuller and George Grizzard. And Genius. it was one of the last plays I think he did on stage, or maybe he passed away a few years after that. And he was a, a brilliant actor. And, and just for me, I'm, I'm sure for you too, just the fact that this amazing, venerable actor chose to work with us, you know, and take on this really difficult play. I, there was some, something was, magical as, about I, it. He would have uh, one drink every night at about seven. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to calm himself down and I said George you've opened all the Albie plays on Broadway and giant houses and you've won every award there is and you still get nervous in the basement of a supermarket and he goes it doesn't matter it's all the same going up there it's always the same there's something special again particularly this theater I find when you you work with different generations in under one roof and on one show it's really special yeah it is it is really weird to to be that it's uh, unpleasant (laughs) I of course look very young you You, you not so much okay but I'm just saying there it is (laughs) (laughs) no he looks fresh as springtime oh thank you thank you after pterodactyls uh first a lot of my agent wanted I had an offer for food chain to go commercial and I didn't want it to be the second play I wanted it to be the third play I felt very strongly about that I wanted raised to be the second play and he said but you're, you're you have a commercial offer you have to take it and I said I don't have to do anything and um, so he was mad at me he got over it but you took me to lunch at French roast on the Upper West Side and I really don't completely remember this. Well, I'm sure I it vaguely was you. Do, but it yeah, must have been you. I think it was me. Um, and you I used said, to live what up do you there. want to do next? Because I would like to be able to continue my relationship with mm-hmm. you. And I said, well, I have another play. Now, at that point, a lot of theaters suddenly wanted to do a play by me. And different theaters offered to do Raised in Captivity. Circle Rep put a big fight up. And look where they are now. Well, gone. Yeah. But... I wanted to be, it, it wasn't just that pterodactyls was a good experience. I felt it was important to be loyal. And it has paid off it. for me in spades because <laughs> almost, well, 26, 27 years later, I'm still here. And that play was raised in captivity. And I think a lot of people probably thought, well, not, they didn't think it, but you always want to know, you're always curious, was that one play that was successful? Is that it? 
Do they have a mm-hmm. second play even mm-hmm. in them? And Raised, critically and commercially, mm-hmm. critically was a bigger success. Right, and commercially, right. we felt both. They were equal. They were absolutely equal. And it was, it was that was close to a perfect experience, at least for me. It, I, was, it, was, it was just a beautiful great cast, a beautiful play. It just all came together One of the magically. Rare times yeah. where every actor saw and heard the play in their head exactly as right. As and each everybody other. brought their A game to uh-huh. that. It was it was just perfect. And and we uh, did that reading, the twenty fifth anniversary reading for the theater. And it was like not a day ago. Magical, passed. right. And it was you know, it was bittersweet because at the time we we actually couldn't extend the play because of some cast conflicts. Uh we, we really tried. And so it it was seen for six weeks or so by, you know, the New York intelligentsia and that was it. I in another time and place Maybe Always it would have better had... though to get the best show you can and not worry oh, about an extension. Oh, ab- absolutely. But I still, I just still think of that as uh, I don't remember any fighting or feuding. Not that there was on other shows, but it was just a, a, a it, it, it just was a, a very happy time for everybody, and and um, um, no one felt pressured on that show. You know, I... that was followed by the dark years. Well, they weren't so dark. They weren't so dark. They were an interesting period, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but there's also... And if we, if we follow the political thing, we did have to go through the Bush years, right? And that was challenging. There's also, I mean, I was so spoiled, to be honest. I was so spoiled because it seemed like I could just keep writing plays and keep seeing them. The idea that I would spend a season doing the altruist is odd to me almost now because mm-hmm. it is a farce. It doesn't mm-hmm. have its darker underpinnings are so underpinned. Right. But, you know, it, I wouldn't do that now right, because right. now I feel like a production is a rare thing. Right, right. And it doesn't get easier. I, I, I was bemoaning with a friend of mine how for a playwright, it, life never gets easier. It doesn't get easier. You're a beginner as long as you're doing it. And he was said to me, he was seated across from I'll say his name because he's my favorite living playwright, um, John Guare. And John Guare was all in a nervous fit because he was waiting to hear about some regional theater possibly doing a workshop of a new play of his. And I thought, it's John Guare. It really doesn't get any easier, does it? And he, too, is one of my idols. And I, I actually... I think back to when I first came to New York and when I was in high school and Joe Papp was running the public theater and one of the things I most admired about him was that he got behind certain playwrights and just produced them. And oh no, John Guare got behind me. John Guare was a big supporter. No, absolutely. But I, I go back to Pap, Pap, who regularly produced uh, some really wild and interesting John Guare plays. Sometimes they were uh, well received, sometimes less so. But but there was just a passion for producing the work, even though it was messy. And and he was uh, he is such a marvelous writer. And it, it was a thrill. I think the first time I came to one of your plays, because and, John Guare, the thing about John Guare that I would hope I have five percent of. Whether it's a good play or a bad play, whether it's an because every play is an experiment, every play is an experiment. Is he loves the theater, mm-hmm. and you can tell, right. and he doesn't write a play that he doesn't need to write at that moment. And we'll end with this: one of the things that I like about this play, about this day forward, is I think the audience leaves having a sense that, you know, depending on how deeply you want to look, whether you're, but that I, I love the theater. Absolutely. It embraces 
so many different right. moments right. in the theater. You, we we go from what really feels like a Neil Simon play. It doesn't feel like a farce. It feels like a Neil Simon play, and it es- it sort of elevates to Kaufman and Hart. Elevates to p- frantic bellboys right. running in right. and out, and then it gets even more demented, and it almost enters like Charles Ludlam territory. And then the mask falls off with a thud, and you're in realism. Right. right. And then we go into Act Two, and we're in modern, contemporary, non-linear theater with gay characters and a direct address, and and so and, and, and ghosts, flashbacks, and yes. flashbacks, and, and fantasies. So I hope, honestly, that people leave with a sense of loving the theater as an art mm-hmm. form mm-hmm. as much as they leave with a sense of any story or message. I mean, no message. There's no message. Don't leave with a message. I well, sound again. I sound like I think I'm great. And no, well, I'll just I'll just say when I when I first read it, I fell in love with it, and I and uh, I I uh, you know that I'm picky actually, and will not do a play unless I. I feel a passion for it and that's true with uh, Sarah as well and uh, I, I thought it was what I loved about the play was that it felt both very mature and very young at the same time, you know, and it just, it, it, as you said, it, it, it cavorts around in a, a lot of theatrical styles and places, but at, at its heart is a really, I think a really powerful and sober and a, a real exploration of trying to figure out what's at the root of a family. Well, that's exactly yeah. right. What the play, you know, we talk about like my plays are all about families. This to me, because you would have thought, okay, the lions he's done, how much more can he say? And then I did did, you know, too much time, which really was a play for Linda. But this to me is like when you go, when you see like the Star Wars and then they go, mm-hmm. oh, we want to do another one. So we're going to tell mm-hmm. the origin story. That's what this play mm-hmm. is. This play is the origin story of all the other plays. Right. right. And then we move forward from it at the, you know, in the second act. But it really is the origin mm-hmm. story of how Rita ended up where she is and how uh, Grace and Pterodactyls ended up where she is. It's the origin story of all right. of them. And I think people can really relate to it. I have to say on a personal note, I was, I was reading a draft of it this summer uh, when I was visiting my mom in her later days. And uh, let's I don't want to give away anything about it in the play, but let's just say that uh, my siblings and I were experiencing a parent right. imagining that we were a brother or a husband and not, not who we were. And... Um, got life imitating art but it was really you know i i think i think people can and do and are really relating to that experience and of just at the end the final question of where do we go from here and can we make sense of this can we make sense of this life journey and you know, it's really there profound isn't an answer right the the the, the journey is a, the journey is about asking the question cuz right. i don't know the answer if anybody knew the answer we'd be done who what's the answer i don't know the answer I don't either, except... Um, you do the best you can, minute right. by minute. That's about it. I've sounded self-important <laughs> and wise. Yeah, we, both wise We need to end on something very silly, I think. All right. But I know what. Um, the, play is young. the play is both young and very old. Like, internally, I'm very old, but I look very young. You look fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hair transplant. Dr. All Peter... Uh, has done wonders by moving I the d- hair from I the back. I do like that when when you go through personal experiences, obsessions... They find their way. I, I remember when Nikki was first, may I say this, like I, I, I got a hoot out of uh, in the altruists when Nikki was doing a certain kind of diet. That I'm that became, still doing it. Right, low carb. That that became the centerpiece of, uh-huh. a, of a rather frenetic monologue for Vian Cox. And sure enough, there's a hair transplant joke exactly. in our new play. And it lands and every it, night. Boy, does I it probably land. jinxed it. <laughs> yeah, it'll probably be <laughs> Probably, but, but yes, but, uh, whatever. I, I, uh, one day I was working on another play, and and I was watching um, now Voyager, 
the night before. Whatever is in front of me. I'm like a toddler. And a line went into the play that a woman looked like Betty Davis's mother and now Voyager. If Betty Davis's mother and now Voyager were a $5 hooker who gave hand jobs behind the 5 and 10. It doesn't even make sense. But <laughs> it was like whatever is in my world ends up in the play. Right. Sometimes in your plays, a character will say something like, I'm just saying. And I know that that's something you say all the time. And it always cracks me up. You know. I'm, I, I'm Oddly so enough. And then I think, back. well. You wrote them, so... No, there you are. There you but are. some people are not at all like their plays. Christopher Durang is a darling fellow whose plays are so violently, emotionally mm-hmm. violent, and he's so sweet. Mm-hmm. I'm very much like my plays. <laughs> I well, think. sweet and... Sour. Sometimes. But I'm just... I would like... If anybody hears this who come, who is a member of the Vineyard family, so to speak, the audience, uh, I would like to take a moment to say, listen, it's almost 30 years that I've been here and you've been supportive of me and you've been supportive of me through thick and very thin. Some very. of the very thin. Some bad times. I'm bad talking about your waistline right now. Um, <laughs> and how, how meaningful it is to me that that you stand by me. Because it's probably my last play. I got nothing more. I'm, oh, stop. I'm out of juice. I'm out of juice. From now on, I'm, play the violin I'm going now. to be... No, I'm done. I'm going to go shopping. I love QVC. I'm going to go shopping and and spend what you know my last few dollars, and then I'm done. I'm out. On that that somber note, <laughs> we'll we'll conclude this. Well, that's it for Theater Uncorked at the Vineyard. Thank you so much to Nikki Silver and Douglas Abel for joining us on the podcast. Theater Uncorked at the Vineyard is produced and edited by me, Eric Pargach, Vineyard Theater's Director of Communications and New Media. With help from Melissa Pelkey, our marketing director, and Ali Scott Bennett, the Vineyard's associate producer. Our theme song is by the amazing Peter Lerman. Thanks to the Vineyard's artistic directors, Douglas Abel and Sarah Stern, and the entire Vineyard staff. If you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. It helps spread the word. And last but not least, thanks to you for listening to Theater Uncorked at the Vineyard. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.